This is not an expert podcast. Well, actually, we probably haven't even started yet, right? I don't know. All that was usable content, but now it's not. So we're <laughs> back after a what feels like a very long hiatus. Um, the holidays happened, and so you guys got some of our filler episodes. We're going to do our best to still record over Christmas, um, so that way we can keep uh, coming out with content. Keep it um, flowing. I hope you enjoyed our old getting to know you. When voting was still the thing, which in Georgia it still is, by the way. Still definitely vote. True. Big facts. Uh, absentee ballots should have all rolled out by around now. Um, I'm pretty sure. I want to say starting the 15th. I might have my days wrong, but definitely middle of December they'll open up uh, early voting early with the absentee, absentee ballots. So look out for that. Yesterday was the last day to register if you weren't. So yesterday, December the 7th was the last day to register um but yeah it's been a while uh there has been obviously thanksgiving happened um yeah this is definitely the most like something (laughs) else happened i think the thing that happened that really made it so we haven't recorded much lately is my grandfather was in poor health and he did pass away this past week and so there's been a lot of uh, emotional energy that has drained from me uh, just in the process of all of the health stuff that he's been going and <clears throat> er, going through. And uh, considering that it's my episode, I've really been putting it off. So. Well, nobody blames you for that. And if you do, then you can fucking suck it. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> suck it. This is the <laughs> most up-to-date episode we'll probably... Maybe ever release. Uh, I don't think we'll ever release one that comes out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> comes out more more close oh, to yeah, it. This is going to, out tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> so let's give you the up to date news uh, because I, this is about as close as it gets from recording to release. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Tuesday sh- night. Shit's still fucked. Um, for the Georgia most part. is whack. Georgia is one of two states. If you learn from uh, Kevin's electoral college episode or. Yeah, his Electoral College episode that does runoff elections. And that is historically what we are in the midst of, Mm -hmm. which is insane. Um, Although runoff elections are kind of similar. Well, okay, kind of similar to ranked (laughs) choice voting, I was going to say, Uh, and that they drop the less used candidates and mm -hmm. only pick the top two. It's not quite the same thing, but because you have to get everybody to show up and vote again. Yeah, which is very, very challenging. That's that's the issue. Having got half a day, their votes are just gone. As opposed to in ranked choice, mm-hmm. their votes still remain. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you know, Kevin got half a day of PTO. I know lots of workplaces uh, incentivized people to vote in this past election because there's just a lot of awareness being spread of like, hey, go vote. Um, that is not going to happen for Georgia. Yeah, that's almost And so a lot true. of, yeah, a lot of the incentivizing measures, a lot of the <coughs> accommodations that were being made so that way people could go and vote. Um mm-hmm are unlikely uh, to happen um, this time around. And so that's very challenging uh, because it is going to stop specifically a lot of Democratic voters from being able to vote because where are they going to be? At work. They're not going to be able to take the day off because most Democratic voters in the the city of Atlanta are from... 
urbanized areas and they generally work lower wage well not even lower wage jobs jobs without benefits because that's what people can get away with nowadays and when you don't have benefits you don't have pto and you can't take the day off to go and vote because they're essential workers yeah um although surprisingly you you and i now both are going into work every single day and i've not been considered an essential worker so that's interesting yeah that's true i'm far from essential Yeah. yeah That's a, that is Georgia for you. Uh, COVID is worse than it was even the first time around. And Michael and I are both going into work every single day. And I think I, I'm luckier than you because I have my own office where I'm just, I can be separated from everybody. Yeah. And I just have a bunch of Trumpers that are like, you don't need to wear a mask around me. Well, I'm gonna. So I don't want to get your your spray all over me. Now my masks feel a lot more um, hygienic. Like the more I think about it, like the six foot social distancing and like wearing masks and stuff, it just all feels a lot more hygienic. Can you just do this permanently. That's what I'm saying. I don't want anybody who I don't know ever within six feet of me ever again. I don't want yeah. it. Six. I don't. Let's, why do you need to be closer feet. than mm. six feet behind me in line? You know, you're next. So just be next six feet away. You don't need to be breathing on my neck. I don't need it. You don't need it. You know well, what I mean? Thank God there's enough space in this country to make that happen. You know what? We just need to, uh, <laughs> to expand to the rural areas. Yeah. Let's go to South Dakota. Let's flood them out. Let's we make a make... bigger metropolitan yeah. area. Make America like one big city. And then it would all be blue. <laughs> take that. Just a giant I can take city. that. Checkmate, Republicans. <laughs> we made the whole country a city. What would be downtown if the whole country was Colorado. a city? Colorado. Um, no, it would be, I think it would be Washington, D.C. or maybe New York still. Yeah. I was thinking of it would there. be old downtown and it would just be New York. <laughs> I feel like Colorado would be more like a midtown area. Yes, it would. Uh, it would be honestly where all of the people go to hang. But you know what would be a bummer is having any type of city structures in the mountains. Just plow straight through them. Oh, I hate it. That's what we do for all the tunnels, actually. We could, oh, yeah. We could Tunnel, have tunnels. you guys seen how uh, tunnels are formed? It's very interesting. Uh, but also, they have traffic lights outside of all of the tunnels in Colorado because um, they have to be able to stop people from going in there. Because if there's a traffic jam, people can die of carbon monoxide poisoning because a tunnel is essentially just one big garage. It's yeah. true. Interesting. Speaking of... Um, COVID and bummers and recent news. Uh, I don't know if even you guys have seen this yet, but it's been something that's happened over the last day, I'm pretty sure. Um, the governor of Florida sent cops to a uh, data scientist's house for publishing the actual facts and statistics of COVID mm-hmm. infection numbers, um, amongst other things. Uh, they, they raided her home and confiscated her computer and uh, wow. all of her, like, data pretty much the governor of fucking florida did that because she was reporting facts and and true numbers like well uh amongst a myriad of health issues um what my grandpa did pass away from is covid 
Um, and yes, it did slowly suffocate him. Like, we haven't really talked about that, but that's the reality of how my grandpa died, is he just slowly suffocated. And that is gruesome and terrible. That that is how COVID kills people, is just mm. by slowly suffocating them. Um, he was lucky that he was on hospice, and so he didn't really feel the pain of that. Um, but it's definitely made, like, me, I mean, not that I really needed anything to get me more mad about COVID, but it definitely makes me more mad about COVID. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> that's true. You can cut that out if you want to, because that's a real bummer. No. Uh, that's so a Florida thing. I cut it's nothing. All, I all, cut <laughs> nothing. It's this is going tomorrow morning. Do you know why? You time to cut anything. <laughs> you know why I don't cut anything? Because it's real. Because this is not an expert podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Megan. And I'm Dev. And it's your boy, Murph Michael. And today is a Megan episode, long-awaited, and I am happy and ready to talk about something that doesn't have to do with death. So, please. Oh, little do you know, I am talking about (laughs) the largest mass casualty prior to 9-11. The largest uh, U.S. mass casualty prior to 9-11, and that is uh, the Jonestown Massacre. Um, It technically happened, well, not technically, it definitely happened in Guyana, but it was entirely American citizens, um, and there were 906 casualties. Over a third of them were children. Um, Some people refer to it as a mass suicide. That is untrue. Um, It was a large amount of people who were essentially forced um, to drink Flavorade, which is an off-brand of Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide. Uh, they had armed gunmen around them, um, and they were forced to, you know, drink, drink the Kool-Aid. That's where the expression came from. Um, the reason I'm doing a brief summary of the end of this is because in my research, I initially was just going to do one episode, but I was very, very frustrated in only finding brief summaries. Are you Googling it right now, Dev? Because I'm mm. just about to fucking tell you what it is. No, I'm l- looking at something else. Okay. I'm looking, looking at where at... Guiana is. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm literally just about to tell you about it. I don't know where Guiana it. is. Um, isn't that the... Oh, it's the uh, only uh, nation in South America that has its official language um, declared as English. Interesting. In South America. That's what I said, right? Yeah, South yeah, America. Said okay, South America. Cool. That's where it is. In South America, mm-hmm. um, not South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, essentially, um, in my research, I found that there was, essentially, there's a lot of talking about the end, um, you know, about that last day and what happened and the events surrounding that. And likely, if you've heard anything about the Jonestown Massacre, that's what you've heard. Um, but I was kind of frustrated with that just because, of course, even being not an expert, I want to find more info than that because, you know, the whole glimpse of um, the, uh, what is it? The People's Temple? Oh, of course I forget it once I fucking get on my, I guess I should just pull up my notes. Um I actually have to Google this really quickly because I actually included a lot of the before. Um, Sorry. 
I, uh, I've been eavesdropping on her research recently, and I'm definitely excited to learn about this topic that I've kind of only heard about in passing and don't really know much about the details or the origins. I literally only know about it the It is the people's yeah. temple. I was right. <laughs> All of that, for me, to have been correct. Um, <laughs> whoops. Uh... Yes, so essentially it's loaded. Um, where I got a lot of the information uh, for today is uh, the 300th episode of Last Podcast on the Left. Um, they actually did a series uh, about Jonestown that is very comprehensive. Um, of course, My Favorite Murder did an episode. That one was also very comprehensive, but truthfully, the Last Podcast on the Left episode went a lot more in-depth, and then there, I think it's a series of three to five episodes. Um, and so I probably will not do three to five episodes, but um, this is what I personally feel like is the stuff that you don't really read. If you just look up Jonestown Massacre, again, you're likely going to read what happened that last day. Um, you might even, like, read about the People's Temple and, you know, the things that they did um, and their migration down to Guyana because they started um, in America. Um, but you don't really get a sense of... One, who was Jim Jones before he started all of this shit? Because he didn't start it um, until the late 60s, early 70s, but he was born in 1931. And the thing that we know about most cult leaders, serial killers, and, I mean, truthfully, politicians, um, is that they have fucked up childhoods. They just do. Serial killers, most notably, but I always picture cult leaders as kind of like a mismatch of a, of a politician and a serial killer. That's what cult leaders end up being, generally. That makes sense. Um, there is a difference between cults and religion. I am very clearly talking about cults. It's unfortunate because, truthfully, the People's Temple is a cult that likely I would have been drawn into for a lot of different reasons. The People's Temple believed very strongly in um, racial desegregation. They believed in a lot of socialist policies. Um, they were very radical and outspoken about taking down capitalism and having a more social, socialized, equal um, nation. Uh, they were big on um, treating everybody equally, and this was in a time where segregation was still happening. Um, so this is pre-1965, I guess, is when uh, People's Temple came about because its grassroots movement uh, was with people on the thing, or with black people and white people, essentially. And the big thing about it that kind of made it radical was that they had their church services not segregated. <gasps> yeah. That was, like, a thing because it wasn't, like, that wasn't... A part of the law, you know what I mean? Like, it was a part of the law to have everything segregated, and they were, like, the only church, air quotes on church, um, doing things without segregation, which is a big deal. And there's a lot of things that, again, probably would have pulled me into it. I'll go into their beliefs more probably in the next episode. The thing that I think is going to be most interesting for this episode um, is going into Jim Jones's childhood. So James Jones was named after his father, um, and he was born in Crete, Indiana on May 13, 1931. Um, his mom and dad both were uh, characters 
Um, his mom was named Lunette, but then started going by Lunetta or Lynetta. She changed her name, like, 25 times. Um, she changed her name, like, a lot. Um, Jones. And, uh, the fun thing about her is that she would change her name. She wouldn't tell people that she was changing her name, and then she would be mad when they called her by her old name. That was, like, her thing. You know, you gotta, like, do something to entertain yourself, and that's what she would do. She would, like get really pissed off when her husband's family would call her Lunette because she had decided she was going to start going by, like, Lynetta, but she wouldn't tell anybody. She wouldn't even tell her husband. And so she'd be so personally offended when they called her Lunette, and she would be like, that's not me. I don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) Isn't that fun? Isn't that a fun way to kill some time in the 1930s? Right? She's bored. She's fucking bored. There's only TV, right? In the 1930s, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, the depression is happening, and you're just like, fucking bored. You gotta fill the time with weird, (laughs) slow activities. Literally, in my notes, I just put prop bored. Well, her her hoop and stick game (laughs) rolled away, so she couldn't play with that anymore. (laughs) Um, And then his dad was James Thurman Jones. Uh, his dad was a wounded veteran from World War One. This is an interesting subject that I don't have that much information on, uh, but gas bombings in Germany apparently led to a lot of um, handicaps, like lifelong handicaps for um, veterans. Yeah. Uh, mentally... It happened in World War One, World War Two happened in Vietnam War. Uh, it happened in the war that's happening right now. You know, sorry, um, but it's yes. it's very common. That's my point. Yes, that that, that that happens. Well, gas bombing, gas bombing was only like the mustard gas and stuff was only used in World War One and Two, wasn't it? Hmm? It's, it's not. It was more napalm, I think, later on. But um, only mustard gas is technically allowed per. Well, mainly what I'm saying is it. Uh, okay, so obviously we know about like PTSD, but he also it incapacitated him like physically, and then yeah. also digressed his mental state as far as his capacity to learn things. It doesn't toll on your Yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that I mean, because there's there's PTSD and there is um, a lot of mental side effects on the mental health side, but what I didn't know was that there is a mental capacity to learn that is affected as well. That essentially, like, I mean, my understanding is that most people just deal with it and, like, would, you know, work in a factory or do what they could and, you know, still, they would be like, well, this sucks, but this is what it is. But not Jim Jones's dad. Um, Because he was from a family with money, essentially, he just uh, hung out at a bar all day. But the interesting fact about this bar is that um, in Indiana... Prohibition had been repealed or rescinded. Um, But Indiana, or this specific area of Indiana, was like, "Mm, no, we're going to hold on to that. And so there was no (laughs) alcohol. And so he hung out at a bar all day, but he didn't drink. I mean, he drank, like, root beer and shit, but he didn't drink. He just um, played cards all day, all day. Um, My man was a gambler. The card shark right there. Yeah, and his family, I mean, being understanding and, of course, being wealthy, they did take care of him, but um, their condition was that Luna or Lynetta or whatever um, had to get a job and take care of her end of things. So they were like, listen, we'll kind of, like, hold down the fort and, you know, make sure that you guys can kind of get up on your feet, but 
then once that happens, you need to be working and trying to supply what you can. Which does kind of make sense, except that I would be so fucking resentful if I was her. I would be like, what, your son just gets to sit on his ass all day and play cards and I have to go work because... Why? Why? If you're willing to, like, pay for him, you know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, I'm grateful, but also that's fucked. You're glancing at my notes an awful lot. Um, just eyes wandering, not actually (laughs) reading. Um, but, uh, anyways, he really, really held on to that. That was essentially his entire life. Um, and he was also double the age of, um, Lynette when they met. Uh, she was married three times by the time she was 25 years old, and, uh, James was her fourth husband. And so, listen, I don't want to put any conjecture on that because a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. And honestly, it sounds like a part of me would have really thought she was, like, funny, like a class (laughs) act. You know what I mean? Like, I would have thought she was cool. Um, She wore pants. She did a lot of things that made her, by and large, very radical for that day and age. You know, um, she believed in, like, women's rights. Oh, no. Like, she... But she was also kind of a bitch. um, Because she wouldn't talk to anyone because they didn't talk about things that she was interested in. Like, literally would not... If somebody came up to her and talked, she would just keep going. (laughs) Isn't that kind of funny? I mean, it's it's bitchy, but it's kind of funny, too. She's New York before New York was a thing. She would talk to people first... Like, she would instigate conversations with people, but she absolutely would not let somebody instigate a conversation with her. She very, very, very much felt like people were beneath her. There was also something, uh, she believed in reincarnation, which was pretty cool. Uh, She believed in a past life. She did a lot of great things and uh, would just casually uh, say things like, oh, yeah, like, in my past life, you know, I wrote a book. And so in this life, like, I've already done that. Just to kind of make herself feel like she was still important. Um, what a fantastic person. I think she would be fucking funny. I really do. <laughs> I think she would be funny to talk to, but you would have to look at it from that perspective in order to not yeah. literally hate her. You know what I mean? I would like at her. Uh, yeah. I mean, what she doesn't know doesn't hurt her. You know what I mean? She'd be really, like, entertaining to hang out with for a short amount of time. And then after a while, I'm like, no, no, no. She's like, you know what? Let's put it this way. I wouldn't want her as my mom. Now, little (laughs) Jim, little Jim, uh, Jim Jones was truthfully pretty fucked up, considering that these were his parents. Um, and, uh... Oh, this is something I forgot. Uh, basically, Lynette was entirely attracted to James Jones because he came from a wealthy family and genuinely felt like that was her best way to be set up. And then, of course, they were like, never mind, you gotta get a job. But she no, did it. She grinned so and bared it. Character. She grinned and bared it. Huh? That's some character depth right there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you mean? <laughs> Bitchy and a gold digger? Oh, sorry. Bitchy a gold digger with a job. Sorry to talk poorly about a woman in the past doing what she had to do. Yeah, you're right. You you're know right, what I right, mean? Right. Like, sure, women sure, had sure. so few things that they could even fucking do. Yeah, she had to come up with hobbies. But he like, was literally, like, double her age. guess her name. <laughs> I think she was bored as fuck. I think in another time she would have been very funny. 
Um, By the way, this is all due to the fact that women could not participate in activities back then, so blame the patriarchy for that one. Yeah, I mean, genuinely, like, truthfully, right, she had a little bit of bitchiness inside of her, but who among us doesn't? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) We just have, like, outlets for it nowadays. Living a life. She didn't have no outlets. She had to make her own. She literally, I think she just had to make a game out of the people around her, which is very funny. That's my little conjecture. I hope you're using the right name. Her her ghost is going to haunt us. Could you imagine? Yeah, but we sage our house, so it should be fun. That's true. We get let all the bad juju out. <laughs> bad juju, bad, bad juju, go juju. away. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyways, uh, so she essentially had said that um, she had had a prophetic dream in which her mother had told her that she was destined to give birth to a great man. Uh, and she told people that all the time, including Jim Jones. Um, and so that's a lot of pressure to put on him, but then that's also um. how she just, again, she tried to elevate herself, even though she was living a very mundane life. She tried to just be, like, fucking above it. You know I what I mean? I we kind of know the end of the story, so it's really interesting that you're piecing all this together. <laughs> Like, you're adding, like, one thing after another to pile on to his dude's character. Well, and truthfully, (laughs) this is one thing that you will uh, see at the end of this, this episode specifically. There's a lot of things that I actually can really get behind that Jim did. Not all of them. Um, that's the thing I'm going to kind of go into next. That thing I don't support, but there's a lot of stuff that, there's a lot of good that Jim Jones did. The difficult thing about Jim Jones, this is a reason I really wanted to build his backstory, um, is that he was very much a good person. He had so much potential to be a good person, and I feel like genuinely at times, genuinely helped people out of the goodness of his heart because he cared. But I also feel like that was means to an end. He still had his bottom line and his bottom line was control. I don't I don't think he was a sociopath necessarily, although maybe, right? But that's always so hard to like project onto other people. I feel like there are genuine things that he cared about and it just so happened that those things coincided with his bottom line, which was control and kind of like world domination. Um This is something that we can go into further later, but um, at its peak, the People's Temple had about 20,000 followers and was heavily influential in California politics, which is incredible. It was a good organization, and some might even say it's part of the reason California is as progressive as it is, is because Jim Jones had such a heavy hand in their political direction. Again, Interesting. Ended in tragedy, but that's what's so difficult about Jim Jones is that the things he said or started out saying or built, you know, a, a cult around aren't bad things. You know, believing in racial equality is not a bad thing. That's a good thing, you know, and he believing that capitalism is the end of us all. Hey, we all got there. It's 2020 and we all believe that now, or at least... You know, 51% of the country does. Um, It's just like, it's interesting. He's very, very interesting because at his core, yes, he's bad, but he did a lot of good stuff. Um, And so it's just really interesting because he has so much duality to him. 
Um, and that led to a lot of really progressive influence as well, which is just incredible to me. So anyways, she said that she was destined to give birth to a great man and use that to elevate herself above the people around her. Um, both parents had a habit of blaming others for their situations, you know, where they would be like, I don't know. I've changed my name and you haven't gotten on board with it. And that's your fault. They just had a habit of being victims. And I think that that is something that he took with him all through his life. Um, so anyways, his mom had a job at a glass factory and uh, she would not allow Jim Jones in the house while she was working or while she wasn't home, which is weird but I guess a different time so he wasn't allowed inside the house so he literally would just wander in the neighborhood that's it that's what he would do like nine to five I guess you know um and so pretty quickly you know people caught on to that and he was caught or he was taken in by a Nazarene preacher's wife named Myrtle Kennedy um an interesting thing about the Nazarene religion is that they were the only ones at the time that believed in evangelizing, which is essentially missionaries, and converting other people to your religion. Wait. Um, what? They were the only ones in the in, in the Crete, Indiana area who mm. believed in evangelizing. Every other religion was like, you do you, I'm going to do me. But at that time, Nazarenes were like, no, you need to get other people to do you too. Hmm. In a not kinky way. Um, <laughs> um, Are we sure about that? No. Candy sucks. I sure am not. Uh, There's no study saying that's not true. Super so. fucking into it. The other thing about the Nazarenes is that they are big on the if you don't go to church, if you are not a part of the Nazarene religion, bar none, you go to hell. And so for Jim Jones, his parents, um, both atheists, and didn't go to church, but he got super, super into it. And this is one very important thing about Jim Jones that you have to remember, no matter where his path can contradict, he is a devout atheist. Was the day he was born, was the day he died, he was every single day in between, a devout atheist. So he got super into the Nazarene religion because he really <laughs> admired um, the, I guess, he really admired how much other people admired the preacher. You know what I mean? Like, he turned it into a study. He got obsessive. He then got curious about other religions and other churches, and he would go to multiple every single Sunday to study, not, not the religion. He doesn't care about that, but to study how this person this preacher got everybody to listen to him and he was smart he was very smart about it he would sometimes even go to one service and then go like run over to another church and catch the tail end of another service like he was trying to line up and stack as many services as possible into his into his sunday um so that's really interesting. He associated church with something that could give him power, and um, that obsession with power changed him. Like, from that day forward, in the way that he talked and the way that he acted towards people, um, even as a kid, like, we're not even at 9 or 10 years old yet. 
like as a kid that changed the way that he talked about things that he mm. talked and that he dealt with people <clears throat> around him i mean if your mom tells you that you're a great person already and you've been told that since the day you were born. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that shit's going to get to your head. But that's how we all ended up so normal, is our moms were just like, no, you're average. At least mine. Just me. She was like, you're less than average, truthfully, if I have to tell you. If I have to say it to your face, then I'm fucking gonna. Um, I'm just kidding. My mom wouldn't say that. She would just heavily imply it through my whole life. Um, <laughs> anyways, he was also <laughs> obsessed with Hi, death. Hi, Mom. <laughs> yeah. She's not going to listen to this. Who are we kidding? My mom loves me. And that's... I I know because she's never told me. Um, This is getting really dark, so let's focus on Jim Jones's darkness. Um, As a kid, he was really obsessed with death in, like, a weird way. Um, Not, like, in the way that I am. Um, So he took kids to a casket factory... Um, and because it was the 1930s, every, in a small town, everything was just kind of unlocked. Um, and he told all the kids to lay in the caskets so they could feel what it was like to be dead. And you know how many times he took them there? More than once. Like, repeatedly. I don't know officially how many times because the kids started dropping off and he started going alone to just lay in caskets and feel what it was like to be dead. What a weird... <laughs> a weird thing. This Where's is that Jones get at Casket Factory? This is when he was at 9 or 10 years old. Um, so, obviously, the other 9 and 10-year-olds were not super into that. They were like, this is weird, uh, especially to do every fucking night of the week. So he just oh. started going by himself, and he started... After he got bored of that, he started asking younger kids to come with him and do it. And, I mean, just join in on his numerous random activities. And they were just like, oh, well, an older kid is talking to us. That's really cool. And so they would do it. And then as they started trying to, you know, drop out and stop hanging out with him, he started bullying them because he can't. It's a lot easier to bully a kid younger than you. Um, And so that's how he got his, uh, his little friend group was just by Ooh. bullying them into hanging Being out with him. <laughs> I put in parentheses, chill. Um, <laughs> Why is it such a foreign concept to you guys? Why do you think we're all under this house? We I just, just bullied each I other. I just bullied the shit out of you guys until yeah. we came together. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because Kevin's the least likely to bully anyone in this household. Kevin is a bully. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I definitely You're right. poke You're right. fun at it's you guys. UA. Yeah, it's um, UA. <laughs> so she, she just plots a murder. And she bullies the hell out of Sarah. <laughs> she does, and Jack. Yeah. Um, so his first his first idol in life uh, was Hitler. Uh, he was not on board with his ideology at all, but he loved the theatrics of. He loved listening to him speak. He loved how many people he got to rally behind him. He really idolized how he commanded a crowd, how he, I mean, yeah, how he spoke to people, how he convinced people and persuaded them over to his ideals. And everybody was like, hey, that's really weird. And he was like, no, Hitler, I'm going to make my own little Nazi army, not because we believe in Nazis, but because I just want people to salute me in the way that people saluted Hitler. And he got a bunch of younger kids to march around and do 
I don't know what it was called. Man, Be a little give this to this kid. He's really trying to achieve his he, destiny. He's yeah. out crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, at 9 or 10 years old, I'll yeah. be honest with you, I was, like, twiddling my thumbs staring at he's the He's not letting like, the world he, come to him. He's, he's going, going to get into the, the world. He's going to the world in That's his little small town in Indiana. I mean... Yeah. I mean, he created his own army at 9 years old. Like, Isn't that crazy? I'm not certain I could have told you who Hitler was. At nine or ten years old. He might have been slightly older when he was really deep into the throes of his obsession, um, but he really, really loved uh, Hitler. Uh, specifically, the the phrasing I put in here was Hitler's pageantry. Um, just everything about the way that he conducted himself, he loved. Again, he was not on board with the Nazi message. He would have loved Trump. Oh, God, could you imagine? Trump Ugh. basically is the Jim Jones of the new era. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, 40 years. Keep a fucking eye out, you know what I mean? Um, so those were some of his hobbies. Uh, amongst his other hobbies, and this is kind of interesting because he had a lot of duality in this in this range. Um, he was super into animal mutilation, as they all are. Um, but of course, on the flip side of that, he also took care of multiple carrier pigeons. He was bad at it. They died, but he did genuinely take care of them. He took care of neighborhood dogs. But he also tried, like, sewing a, a turkey leg to a chicken. Or maybe the other way around. Or maybe it was a chicken leg to a duck. In some way or another, he was super into, like, Sid from Toy Story, just mismashing things together. And it was, like, with string. It wasn't even with thread. He was just haphazardly trying to fucking combine. Somehow, both of those combined things makes it even worse. It does. I don't think it evens out. It's just so weird. It's just weird, isn't it? That he could be both things. And that's kind of... That's honestly the story of his life. Um, So... The biggest thing about him, and this is just all throughout his his childhood, um, he couldn't do an activity that others weren't into. That's why when people started dropping off, yes, he went to the caskets alone for a little while, but then he recruited an army of younger an army of younger kids because, and then bullied them into staying because if people weren't into something he was doing, he took it as a personal. Betrayal. He felt like that was something against him personally. There's um, even one kid, and this is anecdotal, but who was friends with him in childhood, and he said that he got up to leave his house one day because he was just like, oh, yeah, like, I better get home. And Jim Jones shot an actual gun at him and got so, so close to hitting him that he hit the bark, and the bark hit him, like the bark of a tree, and the bark hit him. Um... Because he was just so fucking pissed off that this guy would leave before he gave him permission to. You know what I mean? Like, he just took everything that wasn't his absolute say-so as a very personal attack against him. And, of course, we've all met that, but I I personally view that, or we've all met people like that. Um, But I personally view that mindset as a mismatch of both of his parents being the ultimate victims of their lives, you know, that he was just like, well, if anything thinks anything in my direction, then it's a personal attack against me. It's a personal reflection on me, you know? Yeah. God dang. Off to a great start. Yes. Oh, booming. And that all being said, um, 
in his teenage years, he did seem to have a genuine interest in equality. He was able to really see segregation um, and the things that were happening, and he was able to say, like, hey, that's fucked. And so he started preaching as a teenager on the black side of town, the more urban areas, um, and people would listen. That, I think, is really major key in his... um, character development as well that he found out that people would listen and I personally this is kind of the fucked up part is that yes he was preaching a message that we can get on board with but he used that to exploit people he saw that these people had nobody else that was advocating for their rights decided to be that person and saw that they would come in droves and listen to him um, just ramble as a teenager and I think that that gave him a real power high um There are a couple other weird character traits that he had. Uh, He talked very graphically about sex a lot, which was super weird, obviously. Um, Like, can you imagine just some kid in your middle school that only talked about sex all the time, but very graphically, like, not even in a funny way? And it was just like, yeah, man, like, we know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, He wore his Sunday best to school every day. Uh, He took on his um, mother's uh, trait of, you know, not talking to people unless he approached them. Um, But on the flip side, he decided to become a coach, I believe, in his uh, what would be the equivalent to like his high school years. Um, He decided to coach basketball and he actually was so talented at it. He got multiple towns involved and he made an entire league that a lot of people loved and they had a lot of fun in. Um, and he was amazing at it. He was very, very talented at organizing all these people, all these teams, these tournaments. Um, it did all fall apart. And this is the part I hate saying the most. At a meeting of the league, like at a league meeting, he coaxed a puppy into a trap door and just let it fall to its death. And everybody was like, that's fucked up. And left, and that is how this whole like system that he created fell apart. Was that he essentially murdered a puppy in front of everyone, and they were like, "Wow, that was weird," and didn't say anything about it. Didn't try and you know be like, "Yo, that's fucked." They didn't say anything to him about it. You know what I mean? Like, I would not. I would have to. I would have been like, "Fuck you." I would have actually just. Isn't that fucked, though? Tried to fit his entire body. But isn't that so crazy also that that is how his incredible thing fell apart? So I think he took that experience, though, and was like, okay, noted. People will follow me until I do this. You know what I mean? I think he was so, so calculated that he learned from that. But isn't that so fucking bizarre that his basketball league fell apart because he murdered a puppy in front of everyone? What was his plan? I think his yeah. plan was to I think he just to got lost in himself. To see yeah. How far I could, yeah, that makes sense. I'm pretty sure that's exactly How far can I push the limits before people will be like, eh. I mean, it seems like it's already piecing together things of what's about to happen. Yeah, it's just so difficult, too, because it's like on one side, you see like this avid church going Jim Jones, who, you know, people really love and respect the ideas that he talks about. He's a gifted organizer, you know, can piece together. Things and you see it further into his, the 
the first part of his career. He's very, very talented at organizing things. He's good at being in charge and delegating. Um, and then there's the guy who, you know, murders puppies and doesn't believe a word of anything being said at church and idolizes Hitler. And, like, you know, it's just, it, it's so, so interesting that both of these things can coexist because you want to believe it's all black and white, right? Like, he's just all bad and always has been. I don't or, know. It's, it's pretty black to me. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't see any whites left in there. I it's think pretty that, white to me. I don't see any black in there. I just talking about it. <laughs> I guess so. Huh? <laughs> I just think that, like, a lot of what he was saying are very similar to political ideas that we are talking about now. And for him to be saying those things in the 1950s, I think is important to look at and to see and be like, yeah, like, that's a good message. Um, but... Amongst all of this, uh, he still spent all of his time at church. Um, again, devout atheist every single day of his life. He just didn't share that with people. So he spent a lot of time at church, like an obsessive amount of time at church. Um, so it seems like the eventual path for him was obviously to become a reverend, which, by the way, spoiler alert, he did. Um which is also very fucked, but uh, he took a slight detour. So in 1947, Jim's father died of respiratory failure. Um, Jim and his mom had already moved to Richmond, Indiana. Um, Jim and his mom both never went to a service, never went to a funeral. They had moved on and just acted like he just did not mean shit to them, which truthfully, he probably didn't, right? Like, sure. they're probably both psychopaths and, like, he probably didn't mean shit to either of them, which is very sad because he, you know, still held on to strong feelings for Lynetta, Lynette, Lunette. Um, Lindetta. Yeah. Elfa Lindetta. Elfa Lindetta. He still held on to strong feelings for her, but she had already moved on multiple times while he was still alive in Richmond. Um, and uh, anyways, when he, when he passed, obviously... Um, his family stopped supporting them in any way. And so Jim Jones had to get a job. And this is considered like his detour. This is kind of what took him off the track of becoming a man of God um, for a little while. Uh, he worked at a hospital. Um, and that is where he met his wife, Marceline, which I had not heard that name before. Um, <laughs> But he worked as an orderly at Reed Memorial Hospital. Uh, uh, an orderly is essentially somebody who assists with the more grody tasks, um, changing bedpans, and um, he turned out to be really, really good at it. Um, but the weird thing is that he enjoyed the worst parts of the job. So that's like changing diapers, uh, disposing of limbs that people had lost. Like the really grody stuff is what he loved the most and maybe maybe he did that right because he found his niche like if he could be the like go-to guy then maybe that would help him on his quest to to power right or maybe he just really liked it either i don't feel comfortable with either I think it was one a mix of both but there's yeah. both just like what um <laughs> but what is fucked is that as he worked his way up the ladder uh he got a job for his old friend don um, and you know what I told him how he kept all of his old friends? He bullied them and he continued in his semi adulthood to bully Don, which is kind of, it's kind of funny and kind of terrible. Don was deathly afraid of the dark. And so literally, Jim would just assign him to the darkest, like deepest, most lonely corners 
of the hospital. And then one day uh, he told Don to go into a room of a patient. This patient had elephantitis of the testicles or of the scrotum. And he just wanted him to see it, like to fuck him, fuck with him. And so he just did stuff like that day in and day out where he would assign him all of the worst stuff that he knew he wouldn't enjoy. He would make him go into dark, creepy corners of the hospital and work by himself for long periods of time. He would show him fucked up shit just to show him fucked up shit and like mess with him. And this was his old friend. It's messed up. It's like a little, it's like a little funny to be like, oh, a little ribbing. But then you know that this went on for years. He did this shit to him. It went on for years. He literally launched psychological warfare against this guy because he fucking could. Damn. He destroyed this dude mentally. This poor guy. He was like, man, we're old friends, but um, I don't know. I don't know if I should call you my friend anymore. Uh, but again... As the duality always goes, he had the best bedside manner out of everybody there. Old people fell in love with him. Even the most difficult patients would be, you know, he could get them to be complacent. And uh, (laughs) they said that he made sponge baths a fun affair, which is not something I want to linger on or think about too much at all. Um, but one of the things that they brought up in last podcast to the left that I really think is true is that he took all of his experiences up to this point and paid attention to his strengths and used it later on because People's Temple had a massive elderly following because he noted that he was good with old people. And so guess who he went and prayed on? He noted that, you know, black people listened to him when he was talking about racial equality. Guess what? People's Temple was like, at one point, like, 75% black people. I can believe that. He yeah. took note of where, of who he could get to listen to him and use that. Um, which is crazy. So, anyways, on to him meeting his wife. Um, Marceline was from a prominent family and had a strong, they all had a strong influence in civil matters. This is important because she taught him a lot of what he knew and carried on with him into politics. That's how he became so influential. Um, And she was a nursing student. So she also worked at this hospital. He was an orderly. She was a nursing student. She had been told to prep a body for um, its casket. And he was the orderly assigned to help her. Um, And she thought that he was very kind and gentle with the family um, as they kind of walked them through the process of having to prep her. Um, And I think she really clung on to that picture of him um, and that, like, ultimately led to her becoming the first follower of Jim Jones. She was essentially his first follower because she overlooked a lot of the bad shit he did because she saw the good that he did as well. You know what I mean? Like him being kind and gentle with a family, she held on to that and that helped her overlook everything else. One of the bad shit that he did. Um, That did lead, I mean, essentially he manipulated her just like everybody else. He was her first boyfriend, and I think he really, really preyed on that because right now, you know, of course, there's this movement like men are shit, you know, guys just will do that. This is what fucked up guys do, you know. But back then, there was none of that. There was 
none of that. She had never had a boyfriend, and she didn't have a group of girls around to be like, oh, yeah, guys are shit. You know, like, there was nothing like that. And so I think he really manipulated that and made her think a lot of the things that he did were normal um, in their relationship. However, her family did not like him. They really felt like he was deceitful. Um, but they thought, you know, she's such a wonderful person and she's so kind and so giving. If she sees something in him, then there must be something there, which is interesting. Um, so, let's see. Oh, uh, he had decided that, Jim had decided he wanted to be a hospital administrator uh, so he could run a hospital without having to go to medical school, which is really interesting reasoning. But just shows, again, that he is, like, thinking about, he's calculating, he is planning, how can he be in charge without having to go to medical school? Mm -hmm. How can he be in charge without, like, with putting forth the least effort possible? Um, which is interesting. He went to Indiana Southern University, and he tortured his roommate a little bit. I guess he would torture him while he was sleeping, and one night he woke up, and he was like, hey, this is really weird. Um, and honestly, that's all there is to that. It doesn't say if they moved rooms or nothing. Like, yeah. I couldn't find anything on it. Isn't that fucking weird? If, if I woke up to my roommate fucking with him... Yeah, they I had bunk beds, not. and Jim Jones was on the bottom bunk, and he was poking a hairpin through the mattress at him. Like, a hairpin is a very sharp little needle, and he was poking it at him while he was sleeping, and he had woken up, and he, like, peeked down at him doing it. And then again... Nothing beyond that. You don't see if they moved rooms, like nothing. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> despite all of like, this, Fuck, I got a weird roommate. No, isn't that weird? He's like, honestly, everybody has a weird roommate in college. It's just a rite of passage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, despite all of that, Marceline did marry him uh, in June of 1959. Uh, she then, after they were married, she found out that he was an atheist. Um, she had spoken to her mom about wanting to leave him because she was not an atheist. She was deeply religious. Um, and her mom actually discouraged her from doing that, uh, which is also interesting because she didn't like the guy, but she was like, well, you're married. And it's I guess you're married for life. Exactly. It's just what you fucking do. You stay in your marriage. Like, you're married. It's what you fucking do, um, which is fucked, obviously. Uh, so, anyways, in 1952... The Methodist Church reevaluated their mission statement. Um, they had changed it to saying they wanted the alleviation of poverty, the right of collective bargaining, free speech, prison reform, full employment, and racial integration, which is all good shit. By and large, Methodists are generally pretty reasonable. Um, and that actually ended up turning him back to his focus on being a reverend. Um, so he started working on being, a, I don't know, a reverend. He started that path again. Uh, he did what is called, what was it called? The revival circuit, which we'll go into in just a moment. But his goal essentially was he saw that there was a hole in churches where you go, you get preached at, and you get nothing from it. You don't get any tips or tools on how to live your life. You're not actually genuinely solving any of the problems in your life. Um, so he had this idea to create a church where when you went, you got something out of it, um, which I know all the religious people would be like, no, you get the light of Jesus. That's not it. That's not. But what <laughs> if you not... got cash? <laughs> I mean, 
not so Cash close for prayers. to that. But at the same time, I mean, he was like, listen, what if you could get all of the good shit and also get something you need out of it, you know? Um, and especially he opened up or he, he talked about the idea of having people talk with him about their problems. Um, and then he would work with them to solve their problems, which was a radical idea. And again, sounds like a good idea. I mean, mm-hmm. right? You would want to go to a church where you could tell somebody about your problems and then they would help you fix them. I would. Less work for me. You know what I mean? That's true. That is more work for somebody fucking else. Um, so he went to black churches. He was trying to find his voice as a preacher. He really liked the black community. Um, the way that they did their church services is kind of interesting. I don't know if you know this. There's lots of movement. There's lots of, you know, song and stuff. But then also, there's no time limit. And he really loved that. He really loved that there was no time limit. It wasn't like a, you come in at one, you check out at three. I'm looking at you, Mormon church. It was actually one to four. It's a three-hour church service, which is insane. But he loved it. Um, and so then he went and took those with him on the revival circuit, which essentially with the Methodist church, or with a lot of churches, you weren't just a shoe in as a preacher. You kind of had to bring your own audience um the uh, comparison the last podcast on the left made is kind of like going on tour as a comedian where you kind of go out on the road you work out some of your stuff and then you come back to the city you want to be established in and you know what works and what doesn't on a variety of audiences you know like mm-hmm. it's just where you work out your material and being a preacher is is similar and that's what the preacher circuit was about it also made it a lot more interesting because you would hear from multiple different preachers working out multiple different bits if you would on you um that is where he learned faith healing which i'm sure comes as no surprise to you is 100 percent a sham um (laughs) so he couldn't just jump straight into faith healing um he gained his name or gained a reputation as a mind reading preacher first and how he would do that is because he's traveling nobody fucking knows who he is they don't know he's gonna go stand up so he could kind of walk with anonymity um amongst you know the congregations he could just walk and eavesdrop and he would listen for uh people talking about their ailments and essentially you know how old people get like oh man i can't fucking see as well as i used to or oh man i woke up this morning and my back's fucking hurting and he could memorize things really fucking well um and so he would just take that info with him and he would get up there and he would be like is there a gladys here who woke up with a sore back this morning and he kind of just gained notoriety as a mind reading preacher first because in order to do faith healings, you need plants. And to, need, or to have plants, you need an audience. Um, or you need, yeah, I mean, you need people devoted to what you're doing, regardless of whether or not it's true. You know mm-hmm. what, I, what I mean? And he didn't have that yet. So instead, he would just walk around and be mind reading. Um, let's see. Okay, so then he goes back to the Methodist church and he said, hey, I am fucking... I'm here, I've got my shit, I've got it, you know, going. Um, And the Methodist Church was not stoked on him. 
Um, they thought he was a weird guy, and also there's a rumor that he stole from the collection plate. Sounds um, Again, ends ends justifying the means, right? He probably was just like, yes, this will fund my venture so I can greater evangelize. Um, <laughs> my exact note says, uh, the Methodist church still didn't like Jim Jones, so they said, boy, bye. Um, oh, nobody else found that as funny as me. Uh, I was going to give you a snap. I wish I got it. Or I would have found it funny. <laughs> Tell him, boy, bye. Nope. That's okay. Brockhampton, right? Is, uh, no. There's a boy by too. I thought boy by was just like a thing. It's just like boy by. It's a. Oh god! Now I have to reference who this is. Either Ariana Grande or Nicki Minaj or Beyonce. You need to cut that out because if nope. I'm wrong about any of those things, people nothing. are gonna no. jump you, down gonna, my yeah, throat. They're gonna be like, "That's not the origin of it. You don't fucking." Well, know. they'll tell us. You know, they'll tell us the right answer. But I hope it's not Beyonce because I, I'm gonna feel bad. If you don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, so essentially after being kind of excommunicated from the Methodist Church, uh, he opened a storefront church uh, named Community Unity. <laughs> I'm not joking. Should have just called it Community. Community. Just the word community. Listen, with a capital yeah. U. Uh, in the in, er, in inner city Indianapolis... Yeah, that's how you say that. Um, at this church, essentially, you know, people would come and he would legitimately sit down with them and talk about their problems and work on getting it fixed. So, because he was a good organizer, so he could actually help and problem solve. Um, one of the things that he had learned, you know, previously in visiting black churches is that Indianapolis did not have a huge, uh, like, there wasn't a ton of police brutality. You know, like, it wasn't like Alabama. It wasn't. It wasn't in the heat of the Mm -hmm. civil riots. However, one of the issues that they had is that, you know, their government leaders would sit down with black community leaders, which largely were preachers, um, and they would listen to them and then just not do anything about it. So even though, again, they were getting more than most of the um, black community at the time, it still was frustrating because it was a token gesture. It wasn't. It's like segregation, where it's like, okay, well, that's a token gesture. Like, yeah, we get a water fountain, but it's shitty, you know? Um, And he had learned that, and so he literally, he sat down with people every service. There was no time limit, and so, I mean, there's a story of this woman who was having problems. She was paying her her bill, um, but her lights would not stay on for whatever reason, and she had reached out multiple times. And so he had sat there and listened to her, and they sat down together and wrote a letter. And um, the next week, I mean, they wrote a letter with all of her grievances, and he helped her, you know, really construct a well-laid-out argument. And the next week, her lights were turned on. And then that just, you know, word spreads slowly but surely about this guy who is really coming and genuinely making a difference. And that's where I say, like, he did a lot of good, you know, like he genuinely mm-hmm. did do a lot to help the I mean, generally, I shouldn't even say just the black community because it probably was more people of color oriented. I mean, the main focus that I've heard is the black community, but it probably is just people of color oriented. Um, he genuinely did help them with problems that they were having in their life with, I mean, sure, an ulterior motive. But at the end of the day, if your lights are fixed, your lights are fixed. You know what I mean? Like. If your quality of life is improved, your quality of life is improved. 
Um, and like, it's difficult. It's difficult to balance it. It really is. Um, but one of the phrases that they used um, that I really liked was access without accountability. That was the main thing that the preachers were explaining, like where they had access to political leaders, but nothing was being done. Um, and so Jim really infiltrated their community and helped them. You know, he was an outsider stepping in and helping them make radical changes uh, in their community and in their quality of life. Um, it's difficult for me to reconcile. Let's see. Uh, so word began to spread. Uh, this, I almost wonder if I shouldn't focus on it. Well, I'll focus on this a little bit more next episode. But obviously, you know, he has a storefront church and he's helping these people, uh, but it's not how you pay the bills. And so what he did to pay the bills, he sold spider monkeys door to door for $29 each. Now, if you're like me, you heard spider monkeys and thought those little teeny tiny thingies. No, like actual spider monkeys, right? How did he get them? That is a mystery to me as well. I don't fucking what? know. I don't know how he got his monkeys that he was selling. But guess what? He recruited people that he was set, like selling monkeys to to come to church, and they became his most devout followers. They became his second, third, fourth, and fifth followers. They were the ones who, at the Jonestown Massacre, died right fucking next to him. They were his inner circle. The ones that he sold monkeys to door to door are the ones who followed him. I'll be honest, if a guy came they, to the door and sold me a red panda, I'd die for him in three years. They also <laughs> became his first plants so he could start his faith healings. Because, of course, in the people's temple, they have faith healings. They have all things. Why wouldn't they? They became his first plants because they, like him, were atheists. They did not care about the religion aspect of it. They cared about means to an end. So, uh, that is where I'm going to leave off today. I hope that wasn't too rambly. I feel like every time I do an episode, it feels like I'm really scattered. Um, essentially, I'm just reading off of bullet points, so I really should sound more organized than I do. Um, more than anything, you sound authentic. I feel every like... Every single thing yeah. you said has gotten weirder yeah. and weirder. I'm actually real weirder. hyped for the next it one. Definitely, I feel like it's off to get a, Yeah. It gets even weirder. And the truth is, like, this is stuff that I had not up until this point really been exposed to. Um, like I said, last podcast on the left, they do a great job of telling this story. However, their episodes are two hours each, and they tell it over five or six parts. So I'm just trying to consolidate the information they give. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, yeah goddamn. Oh That's God. uh, 10 hours of Definitely material. Not. Yeah. Yes. And so... Y'all getting it? I think it's extremely compelling. Like I said, in anywhere that I was Googling, I could not find this information. Um, I'm sure it's in books that were written about it, um, but I did not have time to read an entire book today. I did have time to listen to a few podcast episodes, though. So, um, <laughs> I mean, same thing. It's the same thing. Um, I bet you... What was the name? Don? I bet you Don got a job at a, a, at a zoo. Or some shit, or at a, at a wild animal but rescue. But he was his number one mm. spider oh, monkey. Oh, probably. Yeah, spider and, and, then, and then Jim Jones is like, I heard you got spider monkeys. Like, please take them. Just don't hurt Just me. Just please. <laughs> but no also, more darkness. can no you more imagine door to door spider monkey salesmen? So, what do, where do you keep them when you're not selling them? Like, he, has, he has like a little red wagon. 
or something, right? <laughs> or like, hey, I got twelve spider monkeys uh, hanging out in my what my wagon at the he end of the street. He has a giant coat. Like, he opens it and just spider monkeys instead of watches. Hey, can I get you a monkey? Just hanging on. There's like branches. But in that's his... so bizarre. Anyways, I definitely don't want to speak too highly of him, but I do think it's interesting that I. I mean, I'm learning. It's interesting when something like this happens, and especially in cults. You always feel like you see the end result and you're like, how the fuck did it happen? How the fuck did he get so many people to buy in? And I think it's genuinely this duality that he had because even I can see it. Even I can see that there is black and white. You know, you say you think it's all black and all bad, but I don't see that. I genuinely see how if he only represents one side of his personality, how he could come across as very charismatic and likable. And until you know different... You know, I mean, even Ann Rule said that Ted Bundy, the whole time she worked with him, she liked him a lot, and he was actively murdering other people. He was known to be when you know exactly when you know the full picture, it's easier for you to only focus on the bad. But you have to keep in mind that all of these people did not know the full picture. If they did, they also saw all of the great, and it outweighed it. You know, where they wanted this society with you know racial integration. Um, no more capitalism. He was lit- li- literally trying to build a utopia. That's why they eventually ended up in Guyana. And I just think it's really, really interesting because I can see it. It does make the shades more gray instead of black or white. It's easier when you, again, know the whole story to be like, no, he's just certifiably 100% bad. But that's not true. He did a lot of good. And ultimately... This, this, of course, always leads into, like, the ethical question, like, what makes a person good, the things that they do or the intentions that they have? Probably a mixture of both, definitely. But then, like, does, do his bad actions outweigh his good actions? Yes. But th- does that mean that those good actions aren't there and worthy of being seen? Maybe. I don't know. These are the questions I'm asking myself as I learn about this because I do think it's more complex and that's how he got so many people to follow him. I don't think if he was just a bad dude doing bad things for or doing good things for bad reasons, I don't think that so many people would have followed him from Indianapolis to California to Guyana. You know what I mean? Like That would not have happened unless there was a lot of layers, which I think that there are. Yo, let's start a cult. I'll be the leader. Oh. I think I would be better at being the leader than you, honestly, because I see the duality in things. <laughs> I can sell things. Look, if we're going to make a utopia, <laughs> I can sure as fuck make one. Do you guys, oh man, this is going to be off topic, but there's a show on fucking A&E or something, and it only ran for one season, but it was called Utopia, and they genuinely tried to drop people in the middle of, like, nowhere in California. I watched it religiously. I thought it was the best show, but what they started doing was bringing on people who knew each other and had, like, bad histories, so, like, exes and, like, a mom and a kid who weren't talking, and they were like, yeah, go go build your utopia. Like, funny as fuck. I mean, listen, it definitely <laughs> did not go far in building a utopia, <laughs> but boy, it was funny, where they would be like, oh, the next person to show up is your ex-boyfriend. That's a viewer's Enjoy, utopia. <laughs> you know? And it's just very, very funny. Um, and honestly, we should download it and watch it, because when it was airing, it was literal gold. In my mind. It still is. I remember it so fondly. I don't remember what network it aired on, but God, if you have the opportunity to watch it, do. It was so funny. 
<laughs> so anyways, that's where I'm leaving off this episode. Um, my next one, I'm going to try and do this in only two parts. So that way you guys don't have to wait literally three months um, for me to finish this out. Um, Facts. But this is uh, origins of Jonestown before Jonestown was Jonestown. Before the People's Temple was even the People's Temple. When Just back when it was Jim's Temple. <laughs> it was Jimmy, Jimmy Jones. <laughs> Jimmy's Temple. Jim's crew. Jim Bob's Temple. Jim and Don. It was <laughs> Jim and his select few followers that helped him with his faith healings. Well... It's a good cliffhanger to hang out on. Yes. The more you know. No, keep going, Michael. Kevin just needs to join you. <laughs> this has been Not an Expert. Uh, again, I'm sorry if my speech was discombobulated. Uh, truthfully, this has been a weird season of life for for all of us, but I hope that you guys have a great week, um, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Not an expert. Yay. It's a real tight one. Hey. Okay. I like how I would just mock Michael, but we all still waited for the yay.